I'm going to read a passage of Scripture in Luke 24, uh, verse 1 through 6. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. So here's the thing. A lot of times we are so familiar with that passage of scripture that we just kind of read through it and we don't realize the absolute impact, the surprise, the shock. I mean, how would you like, like two angels basically speaking to you? I mean, this is crazy. This is such a supernatural, amazing event. And last week we started, um, I just start, I wanted to do a short series on Noah's Ark because the Ark is a, is a type and a shadow and a foreshadow of the salvation that we walk in today. And I know that when we, when we started it, you started to kind of unpack it. But, but, but let me just kind of give you, you know, fill in the blank for, for those of you that weren't here. Listen, the world at that time was about as dark as you can imagine. And, and with God deciding that he actually he's grieved in his heart, we'll see that in Scripture, and he's deciding he's actually going to clear the table. And, and I don't know what he was going to, I don't know if he's going to start all over again, but he was, he was sorry that he made man, and that thing right there just absolutely hammered me, you know, just emotionally going, this, this is God, and he's, he's, he's so grieved by his creation and, and what has happened and, and the darkness that actually he's, he's, he's going to do something that's so drastic. Scripture says that in that time, that even the intent of the heart of man was evil, that all of his thoughts, his strategies, and imaginations were inclined away from God and intent on wickedness. Praise God that today, through Christ, our hearts aren't inclined that way. We're inclined to righteousness. And, 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 but, but, but here's what's happening. God was done. Have you ever been done? Have you ever been like, I am done? You know, you get to a situation, you see it, it's unfathomable. You realize, I don't have any, I don't have any answer for this for this situation. I don't have any answer for this issue. I don't have any answer for this addiction. I don't have any answer for whatever this captive thing is. I don't have any answer for this relationship that's broken and I can't, and you're just done. Something inside you, especially if there's an injustice where you feel like something inside you just kind of wells up and, and that sense of justice comes in and said, I need this to be resolved. That's what was in the heart of God. And let's be honest, sin changes relationships. You know, have you been in a relationship and then something happens in that relationship? I mean, even if it's like, you know, even if it's like gossip, you know, I mean, honestly, gossip is the most tolerated sin in the church and it's terrible. But even if it's something like that, it changes the relationship that you have with that person. Sin changes relationship. It can be grievous sin. It could be, you know, kind of like, Smaller stuff, but it, it changes relationships. Think about the relationship where, that you've had where sin changed it. And it's no different with God. Man, man had chosen to sin, and it changed the relationship that God intended to have with mankind. 
And, and it, it, sin had grown to such a deep, dark place that God decided he, made, he needed to make a drastic move in the earth. And so when we talk about types and shadows and foreshadowing, I just want to just kind of recap a couple of things. The ark was constructed of gopher wood. What a cool word, gopher wood. You know, it's like, it's like your dad back in the day said, go for wood, okay? I mean, <laughs> but actually that was cypress, and it would be, uh, you know, and, and that kind of wood was interesting because it was non-perishable. I mean, ancient cultures would actually create coffins out of cypress wood because they realized when they put them in the ground that it's not going to rot, right? So this is, this is a pretty cool picture of him. And then we see that not only was it constructed of gopher wood, but it was most likely scholars and archaeologists, you know, people that that stuff, you know, they study that stuff, was most likely shaped like a, ca- a coffin with no prow or stern. And, and, the, and the type is that we were buried with him in baptism and raised to life. Isn't that crazy? And the word pitch in the Bible, because he said, make it with wood and pitch. The word pitch is, is translated there as atonement. So you see the picture of the cross and you see the atoning blood of Jesus on the cross. And then, and then um, there's only one door, right? There's only one door in the ark. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And, and, and it had no uh, keel or rudder, no way to steer. It was guided by God. It's interesting that the ark finally came to rest on the seventh month on the 17th day, which was actually the day of the resurrection of Jesus. So it's just an amazing type and foreshadowing of what we're walking in today, what we're celebrating today. So today we celebrate that resurrection. And once again, have you, you know, you, we've all had this. You've had situations where, where that incredible um, hope you had and finally the hope is gone. So let me go back to the story for just a moment. Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in all of his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. And then in the midst of that, that like, can you just feel what that would feel like? Then there's this scripture that absolutely flips the script and changes the narrative of the story. In chapter 6, verse 8, it said, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know what Noah was expecting to see in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, think of it the other way. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Was Noah expecting to see wrath, anger, judgment? But because of his relationship with the Lord, he found grace. He found grace. You know, you can, you can actually look at somebody and you can kind of tell what's going on in their heart by, you know, I mean, you know, you look at somebody in their mean mug and you Right? You kind of know, hey, this is not going to be a good day, right? But Noah found grace in that relationship that he had with God. And that's what he saw. He saw grace. And this instant was amazing and needed. And God's hearts and actions were moving towards a certain revelation that it was interrupted by grace. It was intersected by grace. And hope entered the world as the story of Noah's ark foreshadowed that great salvation that God would provide through Jesus. So I want to teach this morning on the, the resurrection and the grace of God and the hope because there's a, 
you know, what I would say, there's an Easter hope and there's an Easter grace. There's a resurrection hope and there's a resurrection grace. And I want to I just kind of leave you with those two things this morning because it's so important. Hope defined, Tyndall's Bible dictionary definition says an invitation or an expectation of belief in the fulfillment of something desired. Do you realize that every disappointment is a, because of unmet expectation? So there's something in us, okay? An expectation of belief in the fulfillment of something desired. I mean, do you remember being like a kid? And Some of you are still kids, so you remember that. <laughs> Been a little while since I was a kid. Uh, being a, a kid and you're seeing the present under the Christmas tree, and you absolutely know that you know they were going to buy you that like dirt bike. And then you looked at it and goes like, it's not big enough to be a dirt bike. My wife knows that I love Mustangs. I had a classic Mustang when I was in high school. You know, I mean, it was like 65 coupe, ponies on the seats, black, 289 with 302 heads on it. It was, it was, a, it was bad, man. And so she knows, she knows in my heart that that. And so uh, one day she goes, she goes, hey, you're not going to believe this, but I got you a Mustang for your birthday. I'm like, whoa, there is a God. Well, then she shows up, and it's this little model car Mustang. And my hope was deferred, man. Heart was broken, and I was grieved beyond measure. No, I'm just kidding. First of all, hope can change. I love you, honey. We tell stories like that when she's not in the room. As soon as she walks in the room, like, behave. Listen, we were created to be hopeful. The three theological virtues are faith, love, and hope. That's what we're created to walk in. When we're not walking in that, we, we just don't operate well because there's something that's totally missing. There's something that breaks within us if there's no hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is as a tree of life. So when you, when you have people, and, and you know, once again, Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what happens is when you don't have that kind of relationship with, with God, where there's that righteousness, and there's that peace, and there's that joy, then what happens is you sometimes you try to fill that void by eating or drinking or material things, or if I could just find the right, you know, the, if I just had the right truck, if I just had the right job, if I just had the right girl, you know, if I got a trophy wife, it'll all be good. And those things are, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. But it doesn't fulfill that, how you're created to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So some, something breaks inside of us without hope. It's the break in the storm. It's the sunshine that interrupts a dark winter. It's the report that the illness is not unto death. It's the small things that we're grateful for. And in the darkest moments, darkest days, we need hope. There's a story, and it's a true story, about there's a school system in a large city that had a program that would help children when they would go to, have to go to a hospital. 
so that they could keep up with their schoolwork all the days in, in their stay. And one day, there was a teacher who was assigned to this program, was called, re- received a call asking her to visit a particular child in the hospital. So she takes the child's name and the, and the room number and talk briefly with the, with the child's regular class teacher um, who said, we're studying nouns and adverbs in this class now, the, the regular teacher said, and I'd be grateful if you could help him understand that so he doesn't fall too far behind. The hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon and no one had mentioned to her that this boy had been severely burned and was in great pain and so upset by the sight of the boy. She, she stammered as she, she told him, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. But when she left, she felt like she hadn't accomplished much. But the next day, a nurse comes up to her, asks her, what did you do to that boy? And the teacher felt she must have done something wrong and So she began to apologize, and the nurse said, no, no, you don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little boy, but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, responding to treatment. It's though he's decided to live. So wait, two weeks later, the boy explained that he'd completely given up hope until the teacher arrived. Everything changed when he came to the simpler realization. He expressed it this way. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? Hope changes everything. Hope changes everything. Romans 15, 13. Paul writes, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope, filled with hope, abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're actually called to be like walking hope chests. Because Christ in you, Christ in me is the hope of glory. And can I be honest with you? Sometimes the church doesn't act like it. Sometimes we, you know, acts like we got the spirit of Eeyore, Eeyore inside of us. You know, woe is me. Listen, the, 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 it's the hope, and we're filled with hope, and we're called to abound in hope, and we do it. And how many of you love to be around hopeful people? I mean, how many, of you, how many of you really like to be around people that are just like absolutely like, I don't know why I would put my tail on because it'll just fall off. <laughs> I mean, talk about like, you know, Bobby Bummer, you know what I'm saying? Because we're not created that way. We're created to be hopeful people. So it doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand. It doesn't mean we're ignorant. But I'm telling you what, you got to realize that you, you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead actually is living in you. That's amazing, y'all. And it should be a great cause to be hopeful people. The desire of God is to fill us with hope and peace. We'd all operate much better. Somebody just elbowed somebody. Yeah, you'd operate a whole lot better if you had a little bit of hope and peace and joy in your life. The God of hope. How does hope find us? We see it here in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
It's not something that you can just kind of put on your your cowboy, pull your boots up and do this. It's actually a supernatural, supernatural thing that God does when you believe, when you have faith. There's something that's released. We see it right here. Let me read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like that is amazing. A living hope. We're born again. Hope returns to us through the reality of the resurrection. Speaking of the resurrection, we can't stress enough. We can't stress enough. Sometimes we just, we've heard this story so many times that we tend to just gloss over it. But we can't stress the significance of the reality of the resurrection. Lee Strobel put this, put it like this in the case to Christ. And in case you don't know him, he was a, he was a, um, a journalist, investigative journalist, that did not believe in Jesus, and he actually sent out to prove that Jesus was never, never died and was resurrected. He did everything he could. He got all the stuff, and he writes this because he ended up giving his life to the Lord at the end of that study because he couldn't disprove it. He writes this. He said, if we were holding a trial to determine the facts concerning the resurrection, and if we were to call... To the witness stand, every witness who personally encountered the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says there's 500 of them, and historical writings outside the Bible confirm this, okay? He said, uh, if we cross-examined them for only 15 minutes, and if we went around the clock without a break, we would be listening to first-hand testimony for more than 128 hours, That's over five days worth of testimony. Who could possibly walk away unconvinced? The stories are too close. The written history is too strong to deny what they saw, what they experienced. One psychologist even said this, that over 500 people having the same hallucination would be more of a miracle than the resurrection itself. The, the, the reality of the resurrection. The Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament is filled with the theme of resurrection hope. Abraham had hope in the resurrection. It says in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received The promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was to him whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, which he also received him back as a type. See, here's the significance of that. Abraham had received promises from God. He was basically childless. I mean, the guy was like 99 years old. Bible actually talks about him being like good as dead i hope they don't say that of me when i'm 99 but sarah his wife was barren couldn't have children and so god promises hey hey you know i know it doesn't look good right now but i'm gonna make you the father of many nations and your descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea and abraham's going man i even got one i ain't got one arrow in the quiver And yet, we see this miracle that basically he has a child named Isaac. And God says, I'm going to test your faith. 
And because he knew God's promises and he believed in resurrection, he said, hey man, you know, even if I give my son up, God can raise him from the dead. Joseph had hope in the resurrection. Hebrews 11.22. It says, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Listen, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't care where your bones are. I mean, I, my mind just goes like, that's kind of trippy right there. Joseph about ready to go and says, hey, hey, sons, remember, like, you know, take care of my bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. You know what I'm saying? Because he believes in the resurrection. He just knew. He said, I, I don't want those bones here. I want them taken over here because when I rise up, basically, I want to be in that promised land. Isn't that crazy? Moses had hope in the resurrection. It says in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He realized there's something more than just kind of living for this day. David had hope in the resurrection. Psalm 16, 18 through 10, I've set the Lord always before me because He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, even though it might be declining. Kind of what he was saying. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Listen, there's a lot of Scripture this morning. But I'm trying to catch all of you that couldn't keep up with your Bible reading up. You know what I'm saying? How many of you got that one-year Bible? I got that one-year Bible app, you know, and I'll do like a one-year Bible thing. And then, you know, maybe I'm looking at something else or, you know, I'm studying my sermon or whatever. And then it'll give you this reminder, you are three, you have three missed days, right? So I'm catching us all up right here this morning. It's all good. I had somebody come after the first service and say, thanks for catching me up on my devotions. Like, you're welcome, man. Awesome. The Bible is full of the hope of resurrection. God put something in us that this is not all there is. That this is not all there is. And thank God it's not. If you listen to the news reports, you read the paper, you see the nations, you see the culture, and you're going, praise God, this is not all there is. I've got something better ahead of me. Hope changes everything. Hope changed how we viewed the cross. The cross was the most incredible um, way to kill a man that you can ever imagine. I, I was listening to a guy that unpacked some of the scientific things, physical things, and, and he was saying that in the, in the crucifixion of the cross, basically it would keep, it would keep your lungs in an inhaled or exhaled position one or the other and the only way that you could actually get into an inhale position was to push yourself up, up and basically you've got your feet nailed so it was like up and down up and down up and down trying to survive while slowly your body was asphyxiated you were suffocating to death but now because of the resurrection I mean, how many people in here are probably wearing a cross? Can I tell you the early church people, they did not wear a cross. But it's changed how we look at these things. 
Hope changed the way that we looked. The resurrection changed the way that we looked at the tomb. Formerly the tomb was the final chapter, and now it's the proof of the promise. The resurrection and the hope of it changed our concept of time. It changed time. It's illustrated that eternity is real. Because if the resurrection is real, then everything that Jesus said is true. Behold, I come to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. I'm telling you what, you think you think you've seen some beauty here on earth? Just wait. Wait. Until God does what He's really going to do. But listen, time. Life on this side of heaven is temporal. It's fleeting. It's imperfect. But it's not all that there is. I remember um, as, a, as, a young, as a young guy, I was 25, 27, and kind of feeling like I was getting a little bit older, you know. <laughs> and now when I hear these guys, you know, that are 30 say, yeah, you know, now I'm a little older. I'm like, oh, you are just a puppy. Stop it. But I remember I, 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 was, I was starting to realize, you remember, how, you remember growing up as a kid when like a day at school was forever? Summer would last forever, you know, and then, then you start getting a little older and it's like, wow, it just seems like it's going faster and faster and faster. So I was about 27, 25, 27, I had this realization. And so I decided to go ask the oldest person in our church, her name was Joy. Man, I love that lady, but man, she was older than dirt. I mean, it looked like she got off the ark. I'm serious. And I, met, I walked up to her, and I said, Sister Joy, I said, how fast, how fast does a, a year go to you? And she just looked at me, and she went, and I realized the resurrection has changed time, how we look at time. Resurrection, the hope, it's changed Life. Because Jesus said, I come that you might have life abundantly. Because we're born into this hope. It's changed our concept. The hope of the resurrection has changed our concept of death. Death, where's your sting? The Bible even calls death a number of times. Sleep. Isn't that crazy? Hope changes everything around it. There's a quote attributed to Billy Graham. He said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. The Bible speaks of the God of hope and that that hope is found in Jesus. Everywhere Jesus was, hope was present. Wouldn't that change every atmosphere, situation that you are in, that I'm in, if hope was present because of the hope that's in us? You know, it's like, I don't care if my team's down by 18 points, I got hope. I don't care if something's going on in school, I got hope. I don't care if the situation, the job, I've got some hope. And you change hope because when somebody with some hope walks into a room, everything else changes. Everywhere Jesus was, hope was present. He changed the atmosphere. The blind, they would hear him coming and they heard the stories, they heard the testimonies. And they would cry out, Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Because now I have hope that I might see again. The lame would have hope. The leper would have hope. The leper would have hope because basically they recognize that because of my leprosy, I'm unclean and it's broken and kept me from every relationship that I had before. God can restore relationships because there's hope. He shows up at the tomb of Lazarus when the people around him were saying, wait a minute, what are you doing, Jesus? He's too far gone. He'd been dead four days. They had hope for three days because in the Hebrew mindset, there was still a chance. The you know, spirit, the soul of a man would actually hover. That's what they believe for three days. But the fourth day, is he's done. In fact, he's so done that he isn't smelling good in the tomb. So you don't want to do this. I don't want it to be awkward for you, Jesus. I know I've seen you do miracles, but this is way, way far beyond what you can do. That's what they were basically telling him. And he just walks up there and he says, Lazarus, come out. And here comes Lazarus. I believe that Jesus used the word Lazarus, called him by name because this was a tomb. And if he had just said, come out, then basically you had a whole bunch of people coming up. You know what I'm saying? He said, no, no, you hang, you hang, you hang. Lazarus, you come forward. Because Jesus didn't do death good. Death didn't stand a chance around him. If you think about it, death thought that it had him and then he got up again. Can I have our worship team make your way up? It can be Mary at the tomb of Jesus, racked with grief and mourning that turns to joy when she's told that he's risen. There's hope. It can be the disciples in John chapter 20 that were shut in a room together with fear after the crucifixion and and hope in the presence of Jesus appeared in their midst, breathed on them, and their life was changed. So what he did, he came right through a door. I mean, he didn't even have to use it or just appeared. And he breathed on them. And said, the kingdom of God is upon you. Now, I have a lot of hope just like for that. I mean, have you ever thought of what a resurrected body would be? I mean, think about that. I mean, Jesus walked through walls. He ate fish. He, he, you know, he was taken up into heaven. I'm like, that is really cool. I could play basketball again. I mean, I don't think we look at all this, but I believe that Jesus actually modeled what the resurrected body was going to be able to do, and it's pretty fantastic. So when I, you know, when my knee gives out or when my back gives out, I have hope because, like, you know, at some point in time, I'll be able to keep up with them young guys again. The theme and the promise and the hope of resurrection is throughout the Bible, and the resurrection of Jesus proved that hope was true. That's why we're here because of the hope. And then there's the grace of the resurrection. I told you I was going to talk to you about two things. Hope of resurrection and the grace of resurrection. The hope of Easter and the grace of, of Easter. Remember the picture that was painted in Genesis 6 in a world full of darkness, no hope, and dis- destined for destruction. But then we find in Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. Grace changed everything. Grace intersected what God was about to do. Grace 
the word grace, the term grace, the understanding of grace is found in every letter of the New Testament written by Paul. It's found in Peter and John. And the last verse in your Bible, if you go to Revelation, the very last verse encompasses grace. I think God wanted us to know how important grace was. Grace. If you wanted to leave an impression on someone, you would start and finish with grace. I want, I want to break this down for us just for a moment. Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ for good works which God prepared hand before, that we should walk in them. We see there's a sequence of events that's so important. For it says this once again, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith to me is that step, is that trust, is that attachment that actually partners you with the grace of God, which is the salvation of God through Jesus. A lot of times we get it wrong. We kind of, we, we see grace and faith and works and we go, well, wait a minute, maybe we should just do by works. You know, I'll have some faith and then I'll receive grace. No, it's the other way around. You, you don't earn this. You, you it's, it's a gift. Man, we don't like to receive gifts, do we? Especially men. Because there's a pride in us. And God's saying, man, I got the best gift for you. Through faith, relationship with Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's going to change your life. Grace, undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor that despite our circumstances, God set about a great rescue plan. By faith, which is more than just a decision, but something that moves us into a covenant place that leads to attachment and action. And that process then leads to salvation, a deliverance, a keeping from harm, bringing safely through. And then it changes your position. Your position gets changed because it, it tells us in Ephesians 2, 6, and raise us up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's grace. Grace is the forceful expression of God's favor. Not just a word, a thought, but something that's constantly in action in and on and through a believer. And at the heart of the resurrection is the gospel, which simply stated is that sin changed the relationship between God and man. And man, much as he tried, could not repair that relationship, could not earn or cover his own sin. So Jesus did what we could not do. And by faith, we believe and we should take, we take a hold of that in the surrendering of our hearts, our belief in Jesus, repenting, changing our mind from sin, and we're saved. Come on, the resurrection wasn't some kind of blind step. It was documented. It was researched. It was witnessed. It was historical. And it's a reminder that hope is here in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, please let me introduce you to Him. Let me introduce you to Him. Just as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You and I, if we just turn to Him, we're not going to see condemnation. We're not going to see hate. We're not going to see judgment. We're going to see and find grace. 
I believe today there are people in here that, that God has a hope for you. He has a love for you. And if you'll just surrender and receive that, your life will absolutely be changed. It's not religion. It's not a set of rules and regulations, but it's the very heart and passion of God. Can I introduce you to Him? Can I introduce you to this Jesus today? Can I get you reacquainted with Him today? Sometimes life, distractions, weird, misplaced priorities, sometimes sin just takes us off the path. But can I introduce you to Him? He's the Son of God. He died for our sins. He was raised up again on the third day and has come to give us life abundantly, life eternal. He can walk with us. He will walk with us through the brokenness of this life on earth. He can bring hope to the hopeless. He can change the atmosphere of fear to faith. He can break your addiction. He can heal your relationship. He can bring strength to the weak and courage to the faith. He can deliver you from the captivity of sin, bring healing, bring wholeness, bring restoration to your life. He can flip the script on the dark path and maybe you find yourself captured in because that's who he is he's the god of the living he's the god of hope he's the god of your future he's a god that loves you he's a god that gave his life for you and that's his name his name is jesus the resurrection brings hope that there's life eternal can i introduce you to him today man i don't know about you but my life was intersected by grace. There was a time in my life when, man, I just, I just had nothing to do with the things of God. I kind of knew about the things of God, but I just, and man, I was on a dark pathway. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. There might be people here this morning or online you might be captured I'm telling you Jesus is here to set you free you might be ambivalent Jesus is here to create some passion in you you might be apathetic and, and the Holy Spirit the power of the Holy Spirit he wants to stir you into that zeal and passion that maybe you had before because that's the Jesus that I know I don't know that Jesus is like religion has hurt people and and been you know legalistic and controlling. I, I don't I don't know that Jesus. The Jesus that I know, he's got grace and he wants to rewrite the path maybe that you're on. And I invite you to Him today. Would you all just bow your heads just for a moment? Lord, I pray right now, whether it's people here, or maybe it's people joining us in our online community. God, maybe, maybe today is the day where they respond, you respond to the invitation of Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you felt the presence of God. You felt the hope. You felt the joy. You, you know, you, 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 you just sensed the life. And can I, can I just, can I offer to you that there's an invitation? Jesus is saying this. The book of Revelation, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears me and opens the door, I will come in. It's a beautiful picture of the door of your heart where the only handle is on the inside. Only you can open it. I can't. God's not going to force it open. But He's going to invite you. And maybe today you're feeling that. Man, I just, I feel that. Maybe you don't understand that. That's okay. I didn't understand it when I, when I received it. I just, now I've been spending a lifetime trying to walk this out in a relationship. But if that's you here this morning and you're saying, today, Pastor, I would, I'd love to open the door of my heart and give my heart to Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, that if you believe that He's the Son of God, that He died and rose up again, you profess Him with your mouth because the, by, by the heart the man believes and by his mouth he confesses. That's the step of salvation. The step unto salvation. If that's you and you're saying, Pastor, today, I'm going to do that. I want you to raise your hand. Let me agree with you. Just right where you sit. Just let me agree with you. It's important. Thank you, sir. Anybody else this morning? Today's the day where you're saying, come on, if you got your hand up, just leave it up. Come on, be bold. It's good. This is community. The Bible says there's angels rejoicing right now. Come on. Thank you, sir. Anybody else this morning? You're saying, hey, today I want to give my heart to this Jesus today. I want to open the door of my heart. Come on. Can we... Can we put our hands together and just celebrate?